you know, a good litmus test is, you know, if a couple of weeks out from, you know, your key Ironman, you know, you can over a weekend do what I call a, a metric Ironman. The Triathlon Show 149. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I bring back David Tilbury Davis, and in this episode, we will discuss how to plan your next race. Because as they say, if you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. But first, big thanks to our sponsors. Precision Hydration can be found on precisionhydration.com and they produce electrolyte products that you can use to personalize your hydration strategy. And your hydration strategy is one of the important parts that has to go into your race plan. So it is very relevant to this particular episode. And Precision Hydration, you can actually outsource your race prep on the hydration side to Precision Hydration through using their free online sweat test that I'll link to in the episode description and in the show notes. And uh, that's just a simple quiz with uh, a few questions that you'll answer. Uh, And uh, then Precision Hydration will tell you how much electrolytes you should consume based on your individual sweat rate and sweat sodium content and uh, the race distance that that is your target race. So that is a very useful part of uh, really getting a good detailed hydration strategy as part of your race plan. If you decide to try Precision Hydration's electrolyte products to actually execute this plan, then use the discount code DEATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps, to get your first box for free. This episode is also sponsored by Roka. And by the time you hear this episode, we are very, very soon going to be in Kona for the Ironman World Championships. And uh, some of you listeners I know will be going. Uh, I hope that you have uh, some swim skins, but if you don't, it's maybe not too late. You can get yours on Roka, and Roka's swim skin is called the Viper. I have it myself, and it is an absolutely brilliant swim skin, as all Roka products. The amount of R&D and uh, the focus on detail and performance design really becoming the fastest swim skin in the world is really insane and that is the reason that uh, in 2015 when there was an official swim skin count roca had more swim skins than any other brand at kona and in unofficial counts that uh, have taken pl- place every year since roca uh, do them themselves to make sure they stay ahead of the competition roca has uh, been the number one ever since so that just goes to tell you how good those swim skins are, but the same can be said for their other products like sunglasses, goggles, wetsuits, dry suits, etc. And you can find all of that on roca.com and you can get 20% off your entire order when you use the discount code Show, all one word, all caps. All right, so let's just go into the interview with uh, David Tilbury Davis. So today I welcome back David Tilbury Davis. How are you today, David? Good, thanks, Michael. We have uh, the topic of race planning on the agenda for today. And uh, the first thing that I want to discuss is uh, what elements do you think uh, need to be in a good race plan? I, I think uh, the purpose of any race plan is to make sure there's no surprises on race day and in the days leading up to the race. So you know, you, you're wanting to cover you know, aspects of um, logistics, travel, execution, uh, just to make sure that you can enjoy the day and you know, also look forward to an outcome that you know, you're hoping will, will occur. I'm not suggesting that plans are, are concrete, but it's, it's good to have a plan. So can you go into some specifics on on those things the logistics and and execution like if you go into a bit more detail on that what what would uh, some examples be 
Yeah, I think the easiest way to to look at it is to start, you know, at the very beginning of um, the moment you sign up for a race, and you know, at, at that point, you know, any athlete wanting to uh, have have the best outcome possible, you know, you want to do as much homework as you can on the the actual course you know is a map available is in this day and age is video footage available um you know can you replicate that route on various indoor training platforms um what's the weather going to be like on that day that that can lead to fairly important decisions um you know what's the travel arrangements necessary for that race um so those are all the things that you can do just to make your life a little bit easier come race day and you know, you know, from there, you then move into you know really wanting to understand what you're trying to achieve at that race. I think, I think many athletes sometimes uh, enter a race um, looking to in you know enjoy the sport, enjoy themselves, and show up on the day with good fitness, having, having done some good training, but still don't really have um, a good grasp of what the outcome you know is likely to be. So. You you can definitely disappear down a rabbit hole of you know trying to analyze everything to the nth degree, but I, I do think there's some basic things that you want to do, like knowing the course, knowing the weather. And, you know, this allows you to make good equipment choices. Um, it allows you to structure your training in an appropriate way. Um, you know, understanding you know in the context of long distance racing understanding maybe what sports nutrition is available on the course does it suit you does it not suit you is it something that you want to take advantage of do you not want to take advantage of it um you know, if you are going to not take advantage of it then how are you going to carry you know the nutrition that you want during the race um have you tested that you know is there you know can you travel with it how are you going to travel with it um so those are those are aspects leading into the race and and, and for folks that then maybe are starting to be more at the pointy end, it's it's also then understanding, um, you know, how the race might play out, and you know w- what competitors might be there. Um, if you're looking, you know, for some very real success, and doing your homework on that, um, and then you know th- those are all that. That's the sort of before you've even sort of travelled to the race, all the all the homework that you can do. Um, and, and then as you get nearer, you know, you're looking to then put a, a plan in place that's much more detailed about the execution and thought processes you're going to have, you know, the, the sort of mentally preparing yourself for the race. Um, so there's just quite a lot there, um, that you can drill down into. So with, with that more detailed plan that you make up when you get closer to the race, uh, do you have a process that you go through with the athletes that you coach or that you would recommend in general for self-coach athletes to take when they do that? Like when should they do it and, uh, and, and how should they, should they even think about, should they do it on, with pen and paper or on a computer? What, what sort of tips do you have around that? I think it's important to, to, to put down on, on pen and paper or in an, you know, in an electronic format that you can refer back to, um, you know, a, and, and you break that down much like a school report. This is the approach that, that I've learned over the years. It's the approach I've, I've used with professional age group athletes alike. Um, and, and that report, you know, is a way for athletes to, to get themselves mentally prepared. It's to give themselves some cues to remind them of their process. Um, and it's a way for them to reflect back afterwards and to learn from moving forward. So, you know, I've got some athletes that have probably been writing, you know, these race plans maybe sort of 15, 20 times, and they still find value in doing it because there's always learnings from the previous race. So you start out by, you know, considering the weather. Um, you know, what's the environment going to be like? What, how is that going to impact on um, my, my choice of kit? Um, a good example would be um, Cody Beal's, raced at Mont-Tremblant, Ironman Mont-Tremblant this a uh, couple of weekends ago he won the race but the swim was delayed one of the things that he picked up um through experience was uh it was potentially going to be a non-wetsuit swim for the pro athletes 
but he made the decision to go down to the swim start in his wetsuit and to warm up in his wetsuit. Um, and, you know, that was a smart decision because it meant he was able to sort of maintain, you know, his core temperature better um, as the delay took place. Um, so it's it's important to really understand what are the um, what are the hurdles that might crop up um, for age group athletes. It's a little harder to to maybe do that, but certainly, I think uh, many races it, it's good to have one of those sort of foil survival blankets um, in the kit that you might take down to the start of the race that you can wrap around yourself to keep warm if if something happens, or an old pair of socks to keep your feet warm. Um, or even some gloves to keep keep your periphery warm. Um, just an important consideration. And then you know the choices that you might make on the day of the race. You, know, you might decide to wear toe covers on your shoes or, or gloves on the bike. Um, you know, all these things can be anticipated you know, if you if you do some homework on you know what the conditions are likely to be and what they've been like in the past. When do you recommend that uh, that athletes start with this process of, of putting together this detailed checklist? How how far in advance should it be done? Uh, normally, sort of a week or so before the race, and then they would email it over to me, and and then we'd start to sort of review it and analyze it. And I I used to many years ago sort of write these race plans out, and I think many coaches do sometimes write race plans out for athletes. Um, I shied away from that um, several years ago simply because it, you know, it occurred to me that if I want an athlete to take real ownership um, and real sort of emotional investment in their plan, it's better if they write that plan themselves. And you know, concurrent to that, I, I would say it's important that any athlete understands if they're working with a coach that you know, the coach is there to help them write that plan. You know, if, if they don't have an understanding of things that they should consider or um, the the pacing strategy, then you know, of course, the coach should step in and and, and offer their wisdom and, and insight. But really, starting to write out that process of things that they might consider, things that they might think about, that are very extrinsically orientated or intrinsic, sort of considerations of um sort of mental keywords you know that the athlete should definitely write that so kind of coming back to that plan they they might start writing that about uh, about a week or so out from the race once they've covered things like the weather um you're then going to get into the swim and you know in the swim they might look at things like you know focusing on on staying on feet or focusing on a particular rhythm um, not many, not many athletes aware, um, but in certainly the WTC, you know, Ironman events, it's not illegal to use a one of these tempo trainers. Where um, and you know, I I've, I've known many an athlete use it um, with the the beep that reminds you of your stroke rate. You know, I've known many an athlete, pro and age group, that's you know tucked it inside their swim cap and used it to help them settle into a rhythm on the swim stroke. Um, it's not, I, I'm ambivalent on it. I don't, I'm, I'm not sort of like you must do that or you mustn't. It, it's personal preference. Um, but that's, you know, there, there's definitely some cues that they, they might think to put down on paper. And then alongside that, they might, they might think of a single word that they would try to remember with that. So it might be something like smooth or rhythm or cadence and it's much easier for them to remember that one word you know in the race to kind of help themselves reset if any sort of anxiety kicks in and and remind them of that process that they've written out things to to think about and you know they re then repeat that process for the for the bike and the run um and you know they may touch on you know certain pacing strategies on the bike um, and this is where really it's important to understand both the course and and what you're looking to achieve and, and the racing environment that you're in. You know, the pacing strategy for an athlete doing a draft legal Olympic distance race might be would be very different to, you know, your 14 hour um, age group Ironman athlete 
um, and would be very diff- different from, you know, your seeking a podium professional athlete. Um, you know, there's this certain sort of strategic and tactical things that might go on or, or are relevant depending on, on the individual. And then the same on the run, coming onto the run, um, you know, an understanding of, you know, what pace, what sensations, what posture are you, are you looking to, uh, to execute and, and having some keywords to remind yourself of, uh, of that. It's funny. I'm as you're talking. I'm following along in my most recent race plan that I made for for my own racing, which was the Olympic Distance Nationals in Finland. And uh, for the swim, for example, I had two words as my focus were words, and those were smooth and control. Uh, so and uh, but uh, talking about that pacing strategy a bit, uh, if we dig deeper into that, how do you think that athletes should? Uh, how granular should they become with uh, what pacing strategies they have in the different disciplines and how how can they know what is their sustainable pace or power or whatever it may be um oh, it's just quite a deep one i mean i think i can i can tick a few boxes off at the top end if you have somebody that is you know racing at the very top of the uh, the game as a professional or or maybe trying to to podium at you know a a world-class event like like Kona or a, a regional championship or even a, an Ironman, then there is definitely a reality to understand your strengths as an athlete and that potentially there may be parts of the bike or the swim where you may need to surge to react to certain situations or to put your, set yourself up for more success. Um, it's important to research that and understand that. I think if you're at the very pointy end and it would be naive to think that the way to get the best result at that level is, you know, to swim as fast as you can at one speed and bike as fast as you can at one speed and run as fast as you can at one speed. Um, you know, that's what sports science tells us, but the, the reality um, is very different. Um at the pointy end for for age group and pros alike and and i use the analogy uh, of a poker game that you know if if you're playing that game you need to understand the hands that you hold and you need to understand when to bet and when not to bet and when to bluff and um i think many athletes at the pointy end you know have an understanding that they're playing a game of poker but they don't understand the hand that they hold and you know, metaphorically, what I'm talking about is, you know, physiologically, what are their capabilities or, you know, what, what do they, uh, you know, what do they need to do and react to if they're trying to have the best outcome possible? So that's, you know, that's the pointy end. I think can, can I the make, majority can I make, make one follow up on that. So do yeah. you think there's um, some sort of threshold for how close to the pointy end you need to be in terms of, your your time so maybe you you might be uh, at the pointy end in the 60 65 age group uh, but you're yes. a five hour 70.3 athlete would you still be using the that hand and doing those bluffs so doing surges uh, when when it's appropriate or at that speed is it better to go at a, a certain pace compared to somebody who's doing a 420 half hour man who is at the pointy end in the 30 to 35 age group well i think i think that comes i think um it's not as um, there's not a requirement to you know to, to react as much. Um, I think you know, going back to my point about knowing you know knowing the competition. If you were a you know a fifty year old um, age group athlete looking to you know, to achieve success and, and be on the podium and in a certain event, then I think it would pay you know, to know, you know, to have done your homework on maybe other individuals that are on the start list, um, you know, that, that you've raced against, you know, many times you, you might have somebody that, you know, you show up to some local races and you know that they're always a really strong runner. So you know that at some point you're going to have to deal with that. Um, and you know, how do you, how are you, how are you physiologically, you know, in terms of being able to react to that? Um, so th- there are aspects that apply, you know, with indi- individuals that whose race time may be a bit a bit slower. Um, but I wouldn't say it's, you know, as it, it 
um, at, at, it, it occurs as much as, as it may do for somebody going 420. Okay. So I'll let you go back to the original question then about yeah. pacing. So, so then the, you know, for the majority of individuals, though, the reality is that the, the best physiological outcome that you will have is, is if you settle into, you know, a, a, a good pace on the swim and you settle into a very even effort or pace or power uh, on the bike and, and you settle into a very even pace or effort on the run. How granular you get with that, um, you know, depends on whether you're racing by feel, whether you're racing by power, whether you're racing by heart rate, whether you're racing by pace. Um, and for, for somebody that is very new to the sport, uh, doesn't have lots of toys, they, they're simply working on effort, um, then you know, it's important for them to understand that how they feel you know, at 10 minutes into their uh, half Ironman race um, is going to be very different on the bike compared to sort of two hours into the bike. And so, you know, that, that's something important to, to get an understanding of in training of, of, you know, well, how tired do I get if I, you know, go out for a ride and I maintain a fairly even speed or I maintain a fairly even heart rate. Um, you know, the caveat with heart rate is uh, it, it is a gauge of effort, but, you know, the longer you race, the more cardiac drift you would expect to see for the same amount of mechanical work or, or power output. So, you know, even if somebody is applying even effort and you know, over a three hour 70.3 bike, um, you would, you would see the heart rate drift slightly. And so again, you, you want to be aware of that and not panic about that and, and likewise not start out too exuberant. Because it takes takes time, of course, for for heart rate to to get back up to uh, to to get up to to the level where it will stabilize. Uh, so yes. so what about so people can obviously Google and have Googled a lot of times these sort of power numbers and heart rate guidelines for especially half Ironman and full Ironman races. And uh, do you think that they are good places to start when people want to form their facing strategies, or should they actually do specific I guess, or is it both? Uh, should they go out and do specific testing sessions to to see what their individual, more specific, uh, sustainable pace may be? Um, I mean, I think there's you know there's a starting point. Let let let's keep a simple scenario. Somebody buys themselves a power meter. They've entered an Ironman. They Google, you know, what's my what's my pace at, at Ironman, and they see a million articles on the internet that says 75% of their FTP. I'll be honest with you. Um, in 20 years of coaching, I see really not that many individuals racing an Ironman and running well, that's the caveat, and running well, you know, at that sort of 75-ish percent of FTP. Um, that takes an, an incredibly large amount of fitness and deep amount of fitness. The reality is for most people, closer to 70% is probably a more sensible starting point. Um, how you might um, want to test that is, you know, if you are doing you know, a longer bike ride or a longer run, then if you have in your mind a certain pace or a certain power or a certain heart rate that you're going to hold, I think, you know, a good litmus test is, you know, if a couple of weeks out from, you know, your key Ironman, you know, you can over a weekend do what I call a, a metric Ironman, you know, so, you know, a, an Ironman is 2.4 miles, it's 112 miles and 26.2 miles. If, you know, if an athlete can on a Saturday morning do a 2.4 kilometer swim and uh 112 kilometer bike and on the on the sunday do a, a 26 kilometer run and and do all those you know at the 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 pace or the power or the heart rate that they intend to race at um then i think that's a good litmus test and you know that that's talking about the long distance i think if you 
are talking a shorter distance, you know, half Ironman, you can probably, you know, sensibly apply the same, uh, the same logic. Um, and if not, you know, if you don't have the capacity to do that, then I think if you're, if you're going out for a long, longer bike ride, you know, if you can manage 50% of that bike ride or 50% of that run, um, at, your goal effort or goal pace, you know, you can break that up, slice it up as, as you see fit. But if you can manage, um, 50% of that, I think that's also a very telling, um, indicator of, you know, are you really, you know, are you really being sensible with your pacing strategy? Um, because the reality is if you have an idea of what you want to do in fragment sake in a 70.3 and you go out for a three hour bike ride and you spend 90 minutes of that ride, you know, at um, your goal, pace, power, heart rate, whatever, you should be able to manage that. You know, if, if you're intending to race for two and a half, three, three and a half hours, you should definitely be able to manage that 90 minutes, you know, at your intended pace. Yeah. And, and uh, to, to add to that, what you said about the Ironman, that very few can do 75%. For the 70.3, we typically see 80 to 85% as the FTP numbers or percentage of FTP numbers being thrown around. What, uh, what's your experience of that? My, I, I would say closer, again, for, for most people, closer to 78 to sort of 80% is probably more realistic. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and some people may not have access to, to doing these sorts of, you know, using devices using gps devices using power they may be just doing everything on on feel um and then i think um it, it would be important to understand you know have a good sense of you know what your what your aerobic and anaerobic thresholds are and and the easy way to do that is you know is to is to look at your ability to talk you know if you go for a run and you know you're uh, running along and you're comfortably able to hold a conversation you know you can talk in full sentences you know you're definitely operating aerobically um if you start to get to a point that maybe in the midst of a sentence you're sort of gasping for air um or taking a breath pausing for breath is the phrase i use you know then then you're very definitely at or around sort of aerobic threshold um once you kind of start to go quicker than that and you get to a point that you just you don't want to speak then uh you you're definitely at sort of anaerobic threshold and and that's you know that's not sort of strange coaching wisdom um you know there's science that sits behind that where that looks at the ability to talk and how it relates to exercise intensities and um so if you're in a race you know if you're a um an age group athlete and you're you're uh, or, or a professional athlete and you're in a long distance event and you know you're pushing such that you can't talk then you're almost certainly going too hard mm. <laughs> excuse me uh yeah so uh, so that's uh that's very good very good advice on the on the pacing side if we go into the run a little bit as well uh, yes. on the pacing uh, i think that's where it gets even more interesting because then you have you already have the bike in your legs so, so i think there's a bigger divergence in uh, what people can do and of course there's quite some misspacing probably on the bike as well which uh, causes this but but what's your take on on the run if you just generally describe the thought process that people should have for pacing the run um for pacing the run um i think you have firstly you have to understand you know the distance that we're racing over you know would it be olympic distance would it be half would it be an iron man um and then how familiar with that are you um, you know have you done many brick sessions you know i i think brick sessions can serve a purpose i think you know epic brick sessions definitely don't serve a purpose um i think they can know take a very large toll on somebody and what i mean by that is you know i i've seen you know coaches you know repetitively prescribe athletes that are doing ironman with you know five six hour bike rides followed by a two-hour run i mean that's just patently ridiculous in my book um i think if you can 
if you can run off the bike for a maximum of of an hour off a three hour bike and you can you know settle into a rhythm and and see very little heart rate cardiac drift um practice your nutrition on the bike and the run then you know that that would be more than ample and and more than telling that you know you've got your planning right uh for an ironman um for an olympic distance um you know, interestingly, uh, practicing transitions can be hugely important. And, and um, you know, there's, there's a, there was actually a, a study done on professional triathletes where they looked at the disconnect between their performance in the run um, and, you know, their effort on their bike and their, and their run pace through transition. And, you know, what they, they actually found was that the athletes who, you know, sprinted like crazy through T2 um, didn't seem to run as well over the ensuing 10k as athletes that ran through T2 at a, you know, a heart rate or an effort that was, you know, a little bit below threshold. And likewise, the people that, you know, just slowly jogged through T2 again, didn't run as well, uh, as they should. Uh, I thought that was a, a quite an interesting, quite an interesting, you know, study on, uh, on real world athletes. That you know, it's, it's you know, it's great thinking about the swim and the bike and the run, but you know, actually, you also certainly short distance racing. You know, you, the, the transitions are hugely important and should be practiced. Yeah, and that I don't know if that's the same study, but I remember one as well that looked at uh, the 10k pace in relation to of uh, elite Olympic distance triathletes in relation to their open 10k pace, and they found that uh, the the triathletes that in the first one kilometer of the 10k run in the triathlon held 90 percent of their open 10k pace and then settled into 95 percent or so for the rest of the run uh, they did much better than the than the runners that uh, held a pace that was more above significantly above 90 percent of their open 10k pace in yes, that first it was, kilometer. yeah it was the same it was the same study. okay okay yeah so, so i think i think that's that's very interesting and uh, and yes definitely agree with with you as somebody myself who focuses mostly on on the short distance that that transition training is is very 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 important for for that type of racing and learning how to how to settle into your pace and, and not go overboard because if it sounds short uh quote unquote in uh in relation to an ironman or half ironman but it's still it's still going to be a, a pretty long run at the end of the day so so you need to need to get that pacing right or it can be very ugly at the end I think any, I think any athlete certainly touching on the transitions. Um, I think any athlete, you know, there's certain planning aspects that you want to take care of. You know, you, when you go to a race and you rack your bike, I think any good athlete, you know, you should walk, you should walk the route, um, that you're going to be, you know, running on the swim and that you're going to be running, coming off the bike and, and going out on the run to familiarize yourself with it. The number of athletes that, you know, uh, I've heard of that have kind of got all sort of, you know, miss sort of, you know, get their directions wrong, you know, when they're under duress in the race or you know, they fumble their shoes or the helmet because they're, you know, they're sort of sixes and sevens of, you know, where they are and what they're doing. You know, you can make your life a lot easier, that you know, when you, when you get there to, to make sure you know exactly where you've got to go and what you've got to do and, you know, preparing your, your bike setup um, or your transition bags, you know, just making sure that you've got everything, you know, ready and sensibly laid out or set up. Um, you know, you don't want to be that athlete that suddenly decides the day before the race that you're going to have a go at a flying mount when you've never practiced that. Um, you know, I've had professional athletes that I've told um, that, you know, initially what they should do is, you know, put their cycling shoes on and clip clop through transition and, you know, get on their bike in a way that they're comfortable with in a long distance race because they just haven't uh, had enough practice or um, paid attention to, uh, you know, how they're going to mount the bike. Um, you know, on the other end of that, as you come out of transition, you know, and, and maybe you are somebody that's doing a flying mount, um, on the bike and then you're putting your shoes on because they're already clipped on the bike you know then it's a case of understanding the course you know 
do you want to be that person that you know crosses the line coming out of transition and then sort of slowly steps over their bike puts one foot on one shoe and then takes half a pedal stroke and then puts one foot on the other shoe um, and then starts pedaling gets up to a little bit of speed and then slowly try to put one foot in you know and, and repeating the process um, with the other foot or you know is it safer and wiser to you know have practiced that jump on the bike start pedaling with your feet on top of your shoes and then wait three or four minutes until you've got away from uh, from people leaving transition before you start thinking about putting your feet into your shoes um, you know that that can be the difference at the uh, uh, you know uh, uh, in professional racing that can be the difference between you know making a group and not making a group absolutely yep so let's talk a little bit about nutrition and the planning for nutrition. Yes. Uh, what uh, what should go into that planning? Um, I, I mean, I think the, the nutrition is an interesting one at the moment. I mean, we've seen a big, you know, argument to you know go low carb, high fat, or keto, and you don't really need you know many carbs. You can train your body to be more fuel efficient. I mean, you know, that's great if you're taking sort of 16 hours to do an Ironman. But the reality is, you know, there's a 20, 30, 40 years of sports science that clearly shows that if you want to go fast, you need glycogen. Um, so, you know, for, for, you know, for any athlete, you know, it, they should have a good understanding of, um, you know, firstly, what, what does their palate like? You know, do they, do they like, you know, do they prefer sports drink? Do they prefer a gel do they prefer a bar do they prefer a combination of that do they prefer real food a peanut butter and jam sandwich or a rice cake um not a dry rice cake the sort of you know made with sushi rice rice cake um you know all these things can be practiced uh over and over again um and the you know and there's there's also evidence that shows that the gut is trainable you know you can train the gut to to deal with calories um you know that uh, it's you know it's clear we know that you know a sensible starting point is maybe you know one gram per kilogram body weight of uh carbohydrate per hour um and and that may vary slightly depending on how fast somebody is so to uh, give think- to give an example for people that I can't really relate to that if you're yeah. a 75 kilogram male that would be roughly three gels per hour right okay yeah that would be yeah that would be Seven. 75 times four um divided by 100 most gels are about 100 calories yeah so um you know and I, and I think also as well there's a danger many individuals look at you know what the pros are doing and i would say don't look at what the pros are doing <laughs> simply because you know some pros are you know, freak, freaks of nature in terms of their capacity to metabolize carbohydrate, um, and and how uh, also how resilient their their gut is. I've I've known athletes that you know have raced Ironmans, you know, using one bottle filled with twenty five gels on the bike, and I've known people have complex sports nutrition drink mixes and uh, bars and chews and. Um, it, it varies completely. I think you, but, but the key, the absolute key is you train your body. Uh, you practice this. Um, and so this, this really is one of those aspects that you need to put in place quite early and not just the week before the race, but, but you need absolutely. to know way in advance how, how much you want to consume on race day so that you can train it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've seen people also, you know, just, you know, practice things. And then, you know, you know, going back to the weather, you know, go to a race where it's really, really hot and suddenly they get really thirsty. And so they're like, I've got to, you know, grab more fluids on the course. So they, they grab more fluid, they grab more sports drink and suddenly they forget that, you know, they're now pushing more calories down and then, you know, they get distended and bloated because, um, you know, they've taken on too many calories and not enough water. and, And they also haven't, you know, trains their stomach to deal with the sort of gastric emptying rate that's required to deal with that amount of um, carbohydrate intake and, and fluid intake. So um, it, it's just, 
you know, know where you're racing, you know, know what, what's required. Um, and, and use that as a starting point and, and go from there. Um, I, I, I wouldn't want to sit here and say, look, this is a golden rule of thumb that applies to everybody. But I, I think, you know, a starting point of, you know, one gram per kilogram body weight per hour of, of carbohydrate is a, is a sensible starting point. Yeah, and then you, you alluded to it already with the, the palate of the athlete and the different choices they have with gels and chews and sports drinks. But but that's something to point out that it's uh, that if you, in training, consistently consume gels, but then you go to, on race day, consuming only bars, that's going to be a different type of digestion that you need to do, uh, or it will take, yes. take, take a different... Uh, Uh, different toll on your digestive system so so it's important to have that specific type of of calories that you will consume as well in in your plan and in your training before the race yeah and you know and and sort of relatedly to nutrition is also sort of you know sweat rate and uh, you know loss of electrolytes and replacement of electrolytes um you know there isn't really a hard and fast rule and, and any manufacturer or, or or person that says you know this is you know a you know this is a rule on how much sodium you should have um you know that th- there isn't a hard and fast one you see such wildly varying sweat rates between individuals i've seen data on individuals where they have a very high sweat rate with a very low loss of sodium I've seen completely the opposite of that. I've seen people that have very low sweat rate with very low sodium loss and and people with a very high sweat rate with a very high sodium loss. Um, it, it's, it, you know, that's a very personal thing. Uh, I think if you're, if you're, if you're finding, um, if you're finding in your long distance races that the back end of the bike, you know, you sort of cardiovascularly feel like you're doing, you know, perfectly all right, but you just feel that your muscles just don't really seem to be firing very well, um, then that's almost certainly an indication that you're probably lacking some electrolytes. Um, and, and that would be a lesson there that you probably want to take a little bit more on board. How much, you know, unless you've done a, you know, a sweat test, um, it's very difficult to say. But it's 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 something you can definitely practice, sort of iteratively, in the same way that you practice your nutrition. I have to plug our sponsor, Precision Hydration. Here, they have an online sweat test, which is gives a good ballpark number based on questions like a quiz: How much uh, do you uh, like qualitatively sweat, and uh, do you have like salt stains on your on your clothes and your helmet straps after after workout? So they can they give some ballpark numbers based on those types of questions yeah, for. It's definitely a good start. It's definitely a good start and it definitely helps. Um, um, and it's also remembering that, you know, if you live, you know, as, as, as we do in, in more sort of Northern hemisphere, um, and then we go and race somewhere that's more Southern hemisphere and hotter that, you know, there is going to be an increase in sweat rate. Um, and that may be something that you actually need to train and practice. You know, you may need, if you're training indoors, you may need to close the door on the room Uh, turn the fans off you know have an idea of how hot and humid it gets in the room and, and try to replicate you know the training environment uh, the racing environment you're going to be in absolutely yeah so let's talk a little bit about the mental preparation as well uh, what's uh, your recommendations for that side it comes back to that that race plan um you know somebody's sat down written out uh, a process That process has got certain keywords in it or key phrases, um, and then they use those keywords to to remember those uh, and remind themselves of 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 their process that they're trying to execute. Um, and then, you know, in terms of dealing with um, you know the mental aspects of racing, um, there's almost inevitably in long distance racing, there's going to come sort of a dark a dark patch. I think you know, one needs to accept that that will happen. At that point, that's not the point to start questioning your training. You know, that's, that's the point to start going through sort of um, what, you know, English people would call like a, an MOT that you would get on a car, you know, uh, am I, you know, am I drinking? Am I staying, you know, am I staying on top of my nutrition? You know, am I, you know, is my, is my cadence nice and fluid? 
on the bike? Is my breathing, you know, relaxed or labored? Um, you know, just going over that self-check pattern um, to sort of recenter yourself and remind yourself of, of what you need to do and when you need to do it. Um, you know, lots of athletes deal with anxiety. I think sometimes um, age group athletes uh, or athletes new to the sport, you know, get very anxious prior to the swim um, and, and and they feel very alone in that. And the reality is, is, you know, everybody feels that. I think in one sense, that 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 presence of anxiety it, it's a good thing it means that you're sort of emotionally invested in in what you're trying to do um what you want to use maybe that that anxiety or stress to do is to act a little bit like a laser and 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 sort of make you sort of focus uh down and inwards into the sensations and the feelings um that you know that you've had positively in uh, a training session um, or a previous race to remind yourself how you felt. I think that's the key. Um, I think sometimes people talk about this reflecting back when you're in moments of stress, and they say, um, you know, think about you know a, a time when you know you felt really relaxed or when you you know had a really good good race and. Um, what I actually sort of um, expand on that and say to people is actually reflect back to when you had that experience and the and actually the sort of the thought processes and that that you were going through at that point and and think about that rather than you know the actual outcome. Yeah, I, I think personally for me, that's the absolute most important part of any race plan that I make, that uh, going through workouts and previous races in the build-up and and finding those uh, the best of the best of the best and listing them out in the race plan and then going to them, reflecting back to them when uh, in in the actual race situation and, and trying to replicate that that feeling. That's uh, That for me is what uh, works the best when it comes to trying to make sure that the execution is good and positive at all times in the race, even when, when I go through a rough patch. Well, and I think I'd add to that, that, you know, for some people, you know, a, a word, um, it, it is not, you know, as powerful as a sound. Um, I, you know, I've had one, I had one athlete who, um, would find that, you know, a particular song, you know, would, you know, elicit much more positive emotion and drive. And, you know, we've all, I'm sure listened to music when, you know, we've gone for a run or done a bike session that, you know, maybe kind of gets you really fired up, puts the hairs standing up on the back of your neck. Um, and, you know, if you have that particular song, you know, having that song in your head and having that song go round and round um, you know, can be a very positive thing. It doesn't have to be a particular word or a particular phrase or, um, you know, a particular motivation. You know, there's many a story of, people that you know race you know for you know for for a cause that's deeply emotional to them um you know if we just look at um for those people that follow cycling if you just saw any interviews with um rusty woods who just won a stage of the vuelta in spain um you know it's pretty emotional to to listen to him talk after winning that race about what he's gone through personally and, and that was a driving motivation for him mm, yeah I want to go back to something that I should have asked earlier when we talked about run pacing, but since we talked a little bit about the starting point numbers in terms of pacing for the bike, let's do that for the run as well. Like, and uh, maybe in particular we can focus on the long distance, but if you, if you have some short distance for not necessarily the elite level, because that's going to be basically based on what you have left and trying to follow the competition, but, but for the age groupers, like what sort of pacing guidelines, whether you use pace or heart rate, would, uh, would you use as starting points? I mean, I, I, there's not a certain, in, to my mind, there's not a certain sort of percentage of heart rate um, that I would say, you know, this is what you should be running at. I mean, I think if you've done, if you've done a, an open 10k or, or 10 miler um then you know all things being equal in terms of your training and your fitness i think if you were to race um an olympic distance at, uh, and be able to run at 90 percent of that pace um that would be 
you know, a pretty impressive performance um, in an Olympic distance. I think if you were able to to run at eighty um, percent of that um, in a half and you know sixty eight to seventy percent of that in a full, then you know that would be really quite you know a good reflection of round you know fully sort of rounded sort of fitness. But you know, I think that's a very hard and fast rule that doesn't really apply. I mean, for many age groupers, you see that actually their long, you know, their long endurance runs sometimes are run at a quicker pace than they actually run in their Ironman. So, you know, from my point of view as a coach, what I'm trying to understand is, you know, mechanically, what are we trying and neurologically, what are we trying to prepare ourselves for? You know, there's no sense going out and doing, um, uh, you know, sort of 10 minute mile, um, you know, endurance runs, you know, if you anticipate your, uh, Ironman marathon is going to be, you know, done at 11 minute miles, you know, you, you know, or, or sort of a larger differential, you know, you need to prepare your body for the pace, um, that you're planning to execute. So, so perhaps the, the takeaway there is that, uh, one of the things that you mentioned about the uh, if you can do half the the duration in training like for the half ironman if if you could do uh what did we talk about 10 kilometers or did we talk about yeah so, so if you were going to do if you're going to do a half you know uh, if you're going to do a half ironman and you know your coach or yourself you've decided okay I'm, I'm going to you know my long run is going to be sort of uh, a 90 minute run then you know if i can do 45 minutes of of that run comfortably with very little heart rate you know drift you know at the pace that i intend to run in the race then um, that's a good reflection of the fact that you're reasonably prepared but you're saying that it doesn't necessarily have to be as a brick run it can be in in a standalone run no it could be i think it can be in a standalone run i mean it would be better if it was in a brick run but i would never prescribe a 90 minute brick so um, you know, I think if it was an hour, it would probably be better to do, you know, sort of, uh, a longer ride, a, a two to three hour ride, and then an hour run off the bike. And, and for that to be realistically 45 minutes of that hour to be at kind of goal pace yeah. um, for an, for an Ironman or, or for a half Ironman. I, I tend to have the main simulation and pace testing workout that I do is a 45 minute break at, at 7.3 intensity uh, uh, or pacing and uh, at least for the athletes that are running their half marathon in a 70.3 at 1.45 so one hour 45 minutes or faster that that seems to be a a good uh, predictor of, of what they can do in the race i think i think many people are you know they're looking for you know what's this test i can do what's this formula i can use and i think people forget that training is testing and testing is training and that's why you know i'm maybe being a little bit evasive in saying, you know, this is the heart rate that you should do, you know, on your run in an Ironman or a half, or this is the test that you should do. It's like, well, not really. I think reality is, is that there's certain training sessions that you can do that are, for want of a better phrase, a litmus test of your fitness. And if you can repeat those litmus tests a couple of times a year, you know, on top of your racing, then, you know, that gives you a very clear indication that, you know, you've, you're progressing and um, you're doing things right or your coach is doing things right. Um, I, you know, I'm a big believer in sort of litmus test, you know, training sessions where it's not like, okay, we are going to do a time trial or we're going to measure your VO2 max in the lab and calculate a percentage of that because there's so many factors that go into the race in terms of, you know, hydration, nutrition, pacing, um, terrain, um, that you know it's better to have a real world sort of litmus test of that than you know go with a very sort of formulaic response yeah and i think once you get uh, a bit racing experience at least again uh, personally my experience is that i run the best when i don't look at my watch at all i i just settle into an rpe based uh rhythm that i can that I can sustain, sustain, and uh, and that is something that you you learn with well with training sessions as well, but especially with with racing, what that is, and and that's for me is something that gives me much better runs than if I were to try to hold a certain pace that I had 
predetermined before before the race. Yeah, absolutely. Because exactly what you're doing there is you're anchoring that effort in experiences that you've had in training. You know, it, um, you know. So again, it's very difficult to say to you know to any athlete, you know, this is how you should feel on on this race, you know, on the run in this race, because unless they've anchored that sensation in in training sessions. Um, it's very difficult for them to kind of actually contextualize that. Yeah. Yeah. So final question. Uh, yes. What are the situations when it makes sense to divert from the plan? And and conversely, like, uh, how can athletes that tend to divert unnecessarily from the plan make sure that they actually stick to it and, and not, uh, not divert from it and then suffer at the end of the race? Um. Let's start with the first one, you know, when to diverge from the plan. I mean, I think if you if you find yourself in a racing situation that um you know you you haven't experienced before, um, I think asking yourself some questions of how you feel, you know, how what does your effort feel like? What does your heart rate look like? What does your power look like if you're on the bike? Um and use those as sort of barometers of uh your decision making. Um, and, and if the, and if the feedback that comes back is, you know, heart rate is okay, maybe a bit low and RPE is a bit low and power is a bit high, then, then great, you know, crack on, um, you know, maybe deviate from your plan a little bit. Um, I think the reality is you never see people deviating from, you know, a plan more than sort of plus or minus 5%. Um, you know, I mean that in a more general sense, not a like 5% of this number, you know, this power number, but more, you know, the point I'm making is when people do deviate, it's, you know, it's small deviations with intelligent decision-making. It's not toss the plan out of the window and start running at my open 10K pace, you know, in the middle of my half marathon in a 70.3. Um, and, and I think you see that in in many races coming back to that point about learning how to play poker you see many athletes sometimes just throw their plan out the window and and get caught up in the you know the race experience and um and then you know everything starts to unravel i mean i think you have to have a plan um you know one athlete came to me um from a, a previous coach and um they'd been training with that person for some time and um they'd come to an Ironman and you know they were fairly detail orientated and they said to the coach right you know what do I do and the, and the coach just said you know just go out there be awesome go as fast as you can and they were like well that's great what does that actually mean you know just just go out there and just crush it be awesome and they're like well <laughs> that doesn't really help me <laughs> um so I, I think you definitely need to have a you know a clear set of numbers or paces or heart rates or powers, and and then understand that you know maybe a little bit of deviation from that is is okay um, uh, under the circumstances. And if you find yourself in a situation where you are having to deviate from that plan, let's take the example of a run where somebody starts to feel like they're struggling uh, to maintain the pace that they wanted to hold. Um, you know, again, going through that MOT of, you know, am I staying hydrated? Am I staying on top of my nutrition? You know, what's the weather like? If it, if it's suddenly they're at a very hot race, you know, try not to get too wrapped up in, you know, well, I'm, I'm slowing down. So I'm having a bad day because the reality could be that, you know, everybody is slowing down and you're actually not slowing down the, you know, the most. Um, and that's important to remember that, you know, un until you cross that finish line, you know, the race isn't over. Um, so even if you are having to make those decisions, um, you know, don't, don't judge yourself for them because everybody could be in the same position. Mm, yeah. And, and I guess one of the takeaways there as well is that if you have to deviate more than 5% in that general sense, then maybe you didn't do your homework enough. You, you didn't, uh, in the, in training, do these sort of yeah. workouts that would test how, what, what you're capable of to, to run off the bike, for example, and, and what the sustainable power on the bike or, yeah, or absolutely. heart rate. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think, I don't think, you know, for, for any good athlete that's preparing for a race, you know, I used right at the beginning, I said, you know, trying to create a situation where you're avoiding any surprises, you know, it shouldn't be too surprising in a race to have a certain performance. 
you know, there's there's definitely, you know, it, it's sport and it's long distance racing at times. You know, even Olympic distance is two hours. So it's it's a long endurance event. Um, you know, there's, there's still some differences that you might see in somebody, you know, exceeding, you know, their expectations. But that that isn't going to be, you know, stratospherically different to, you know, maybe what their expectations of, of outcome were. It it may be subtly different. Um, they may f- have found that that extra gear, you know, on the run, you know, to you know to win the race um, that they'd never really quite pushed the limits on, and it took the race environment to truly discover that. But that's not going to be, you know, stratospherically different to you know the original the original plan. And I think that's important to remember: is never expect on race day some sort of you know magical sprinkling of you know unicorn dust you know to make you a rock star because it just doesn't happen yeah you know the you know Jan Fredino's you know 106 at the 70.3 world championships is probably a good example of that where you know that's probably a a performance for the ages and you know we know now that maybe that came at a certain price maybe it didn't but but that's a performance for the ages i mean that was something really special to witness um but I'm sure, you know, leading into that himself and his coach had a sense that maybe they were going to put together something fairly special, um, but just didn't know what it was. Yeah. Okay. So this has been really great, David. And uh, for the rapid fire questions, uh, we refer the listeners back to your previous appearance on the podcast in episode 53. So, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for this. And uh, the listeners that want to find out more about you and your coaching services you can be found on uh, tilburydaviscoaching.com uh, is that it www.tilburydavis.com tilburydavis.com okay and you're now in my old neck of the woods in helsinki is where you're located indeed yes i've moved to, to helsinki uh, for family um was previously living in the u.s uh, but still still sort of traveling the world and, and working with various athletes brilliant okay thank you so much it was a pleasure having you on my pleasure hope that you enjoyed that interview it uh, was a long one and uh, time just flew by when when i was talking with david it was uh, so much fun i really enjoyed this discussion and uh, i think it was incredibly valuable so <laughs> that's the reason why it ended up being such a long interview that's uh, not something that was planned really but uh, it just ended up being that way but i still think that everything is uh, very very relevant and uh, and it was uh, worth taking the time to do this uh, interview properly and make it a longer episode in this case. My key takeaway is uh, really the one thing from this discussion. There are all of these things in the race plan are important. So, so I don't want to to bring bring out some uh, one particular item. I just want to say once again that, uh, as I said at the front of the episode, that uh, if you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. If you have an important race coming up, there's absolutely no excuse not to create a race plan. You're setting yourself up for failure if you don't. That's not to say that you are absolutely for certain going to be a world beater if you do have a race plan. But that's what you need to do to give yourself the best possible chance. My second takeaway is uh, not related to this interview. Because it actually occurred in the post-interview chat that David and I had we discussed some of the concepts that we covered back in episode 53 when David was first on that one. I'll link to in the episode description and in the show notes. It's to- called Training Talk, Splicing Workouts, Cognitive Load, and More with David Tilbury Davis. And, uh, and what we talked about was this concept of splicing workouts. And I had kind of forgotten about this whole thing. But uh, in a nutshell, it means leaving it up to the athlete on the day how they splice the workout. Let's say I want you to be doing 16 minutes of hard work and I want you to do that on 12 minutes total recovery. So I could uh, basically tell you to do four by four minutes on three minutes recovery or I could tell you to do 16 by one minute on 45 seconds recovery. And depending on the type of athlete you are, you might react very different differently to those different types of workouts. 
So this concept of splicing workouts is something that you can apply, even if you are self-coached as well. You can take the, the work duration and the recovery duration and and uh, splice it up in uh, different ways, the, f- the way that you might get the most out of the uh, of the workout itself. So that's in a nutshell what it is, but definitely go back and listen to, to episode 53 to hear more about it. But uh, that's just something that... Uh, that we during our post-interview workouts talked about, and and I think it's so such an interesting concept that's not talked much about that I wanted to bring that up again. As usual, you can find the show notes for this episode on thattriathlonshow.com. I'll link to it also directly in the episode description. If you have comments or questions, leave them in the comment section at the bottom of that show notes page. Also, on Thursday, if you didn't listen into the podcast, I introduced or reintroduced uh, Q&As to this podcast. So that was a Q&A episode. And uh, so definitely go and listen to that and let me know what you think. How often should I do this? Should I do them at all? Uh, Etc. And of course, if you have questions that you want me to answer on future Q&A episodes, uh, feel free to send them in to michael at scientifictriathlon.com. And that's Michael with a K. And I'll put them in the backlog to answer on an upcoming Q&A episode. All right, so there is a lot of really great stuff coming up on the podcast. I have a few uh, tentatively scheduled episodes that I don't want to confirm just yet, but there are good episodes coming up, I can tell you that. So definitely subscribe if you aren't already subscribed. If you are a long-time listener, you've been with me from uh, for a long time. Uh, have you left a rating and review on iTunes or Apple Podcast yet? Or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast, really? If you haven't considered doing that, it really helps to uh, to bring the podcast up up in the rankings and help it reach more people, which uh, allows me to uh, to justify spending the time I do on creating this podcast. Big thanks finally to the sponsors that uh, keep this show alive. First, we have Roka that you can find on roka.com. That's where you should go whenever you want to shop a wetsuit, sunglasses, goggles, tri suits, swim skins, etc. And you can do that for 20% off when you use the discount code that triathlon show, all on word, all caps. And a big thanks to Precision Hydration for your hydration needs and your electrolyte needs. Go and check out precisionhydration.com and use the promo code thattriathlonshow, all one word, all caps, to get your first box for free. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlons.